Welcome to Sex Ed with DB. I'm your host, DB. Let's get into it. Welcome back to the podcast. If you love and support the work that we do, consider joining my crew on Patreon to win amazing prizes like our adorable merch, exclusive behind-the-scenes content, and incredible sex toys. Go to patreon.com slash sexedwithdb to join my crew. Get discounts at all of your favorite sex toy shops at sexedwithdb.com. And follow us on Insta at sexedwithdbpodcast and on TikTok at sexedwithdb. If you want to partner with us, email us at sexedwithdb at gmail.com. Close your eyes and think of your ideal sex toy. No matter what you like, you'll find it at Fun Factory. A few things Fun Factory's toys all have in common. They're 100% body safe so your mind is free to focus on fun. They include sex educator design games to get you going. And they're made in Germany, meaning they're long lasting. You get more O's from your toy when it stays in your nightstand and out of the landfill. Follow Fun Factory on IG at FunFactoryUSA and use code SEXEDWITHDB for 15% off your new favorite German vibe. If you've been a longtime fan of Sex Ed with DB, you've definitely heard of Clona Willy. But if you're new here, let me fill you in. Clona Willy makes incredible DIY molding kits that allow anyone to make an exact replica of any penis or vulva into a high quality, 100% body safe sex toy. And there are so many fun colors to choose from. Use promo code SEXEDWITHDB20 for 20% off at clonawilly.com. And follow them on Instagram at clonawillykit. We talk a lot about sex ed, but when we're shopping for products to support our sexual wellness, exploration, and expression, we head to the experts at Lion's Den. Lion's Den is an adult retailer with 46 locations nationwide and hundreds of your favorite brands. They have everything you need to explore and express your sexual side. Right now, you can use code SEXEDWITHDB for 15% off your purchase in-store and online. Follow them on social media at Lion's Den Adult on IG and TikTok for exclusive offers, deals, and giveaways. Good afternoon, Angelica. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you? Uh, you know, loaded question these days. Um, <laughs> I'm doing all right, I think, in general. Like, very happy and very lucky to be doing the podcast and meeting people and continuing uh, the good work, as we say. Uh, but it's been a tough week, I feel, um, with everything going on. I'm sure you feel the heaviness as well. Um, but I'm so excited to have you here today and to learn from you. And I'd love if you could introduce yourself, um, and share also like, what was your sex ed like growing up? Let's start there. Oh, that's a juicy question to start with. (laughs) (laughs) So my name is Angelica Lindsay Ali. I'm known on social media as the village auntie. I am a certified sexual health educator. I also work in reproductive health. I am the founder of the Village Auntie Institute, which is dedicated towards providing women not only with sex ed and education about reproductive health, but also a supportive space for women to learn um, sort of the lessons that we missed out um, in identity development, but mainly uh, in, in building our self-esteem and building our, our sisterhood connections. 
I am the daughter of a clinical psychologist. My mother has been, had been, she just retired in October. Oh, congrats. Yeah. I hope, hopefully she stays retired. This is her third time (laughs) to retire. So let's hope she stays. (laughs) But she's, my mother worked for uh, almost 50 years in uh, behavioral health. My father was a substance abuse counselor. He was uh, a police officer first, left the force because of a lot of racialized trauma Mm -hmm. and became a behavioral health professional. So I grew up in a family uh, with people who were very educated, who had access to resources. And my sex ed went something like, uh, when your period starts, this is what you use. Don't have sex with boys before you get married. Full stop. That was mm-hmm. that was pretty much it. I learned a lot from reading my mother's biology textbooks when she was going for her master's degree. I was eight years old, sneaking and you know reading about anatomy. So I had an idea about what the human body looked like, but I didn't really know how the parts kind of worked together. So my sex ed was on the playground, uh, in the locker room, um, on the party line. It was really picking up tidbits mm. of that I could glean from my peers. So never really any formalized uh, sex ed. Yeah, uh-huh, uh-huh. A lot of um, <laughs> really great things to react to there. First of all, like, have you and your parents talked about like creating an organization together or have you ever worked together? Yes. So my father died when I was 16. Mm. But my mother and I worked for the same organization. Uh, she started before I did. She actually brought me into the organization. We worked in totally separate places, so our work never overlapped. But we worked together for 17 years for a behavioral health organization here in Phoenix. Uh, she ran the Youth and Young Adult Behavioral Health Services Program, and I currently run our HIV outreach department. So a lot of what I do, even though my mother, she, I, I well, I'm sure we'll get into this later. Like as a mother, I think she was freaked out about talking to her daughter about sex ed. But as professionals, my mother and I have really generative conversations about the linkage between like sexual health and behavioral health. So it's it's I've learned a lot. I always say a lot of who I am is because of my mother. Oh, we feel very similarly. And I'm, I'm so sorry to hear about your dad also. Um, and thank you for sharing that. Um, but we feel very similarly about our moms. My mom is an OBGYN and is on every season of this podcast. And people listening know I pretty much bring that up every episode. So sorry, listener, for you hearing that over and over again. But yeah, there's something strong and unique about like that kind of bond with your mom when you feel like they have really embedded like their passions in such a powerful way in you and you feel like you want to make, or I'm projecting, but like want to make them proud and want to do work with them. And like, you know, there's a lot of, um, beautifulness like in that and, and power. So very cool. Um, I would love to hear more about your career and work and the village auntie Institute. And really like, you know, in, in doing my research on, uh, your, your mission, you know, you describe it as a movement and that was really, uh, intentional to me. And so I'm curious if you can kind of share like what it is, um, what you do and your goals and mission. Sure. Uh, so I'm from Detroit, Michigan. I live in Phoenix, but I grew, I was born and raised in Detroit. And I always say Detroit is one of the most 
politically astute cities I've ever been in. I've lived in, you know, I've lived all over the world. And that imprint that Detroit had on my life really affected my trajectory in life. I was nurtured and mentored by people who were a part of Black liberation movements, who were a part of the civil rights movement, Black power movement. Uh, and as such, I really got a, a really deep connection to my culture and learning my history. So when I went to university, I majored in African-American and African studies. Everyone said, you'll never get a job doing that. You know, you're going to just be like some broke artist or something. But I'm happy to say that every job that I've ever had as an adult has integrated that that core experience of growing up in Detroit and then really leaning into learning about like resistance movements and theories around culture and identity development. And so I spent um, the early part of my professional life as a classroom teacher. I started out as a second grade teacher. Yes, I was a second grade teacher. Uh, then when I moved to Phoenix, I taught middle school. And then when I moved to Saudi Arabia, I taught high school English. And it was all, I would always find ways to like insert my upbringing. So like when we would read classics, it's like, okay, well, we're not going to read Shakespeare. We're going to read James Baldwin. And we're going to talk about why James Baldwin is like American classical literature. We're going to read Toni Morrison. You know, we talked about things like that. So in 2003, I transitioned from the classroom because Arizona does not pay its teachers enough. Mm. No place in America pays its teachers enough. I transitioned to adult education, uh, working with a public health services program at the Behavioral Health Organization, where I still work. And it was focused on HIV prevention. In high school, I had done a lot of work with a Black organization that did outreach in the city of Detroit um, around sexual health, um, uh, case management for people who were living with HIV. So it wasn't outside of my wheelhouse. And I was really interested in, you know, how do adults learn differently than children? And I just became enamored with public health. And it really became a space where I could synthesize the upbringing that I had in Detroit with political movement building. The academic education I had was looking at global resistance movements, women-led movements, and then also my own personal passions around um, homeopathic care, traditional you know, African healing modalities. And all of that came together uh, when I formed the Village Auntie Institute. I actually, that was my birthday gift to myself when I turned 45. <laughs> Incredible. My husband's always like, I never know what to get you. I said, well, for my 45th birthday, I'm, I'm getting an organization. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to start a whole institute. Uh, and it was really at the urging of uh, my business manager, who is also like my best friend. And she's like, you can do this. You need to do this. And I really started Village Auntie Institute because I wanted to decentralize the idea that the only way to validate um, studies is it is for it to be through a majority white academic institution. I wanted to go back to the traditional modes of education, especially for like my ancestors. You did not necessarily go to a university, but there was a woman in the community who could educate you about your body. You, you went to her before you got married, after you had a baby, you know, as you aged. And I really wanted to go back to those traditional modes of education. Um, but make it in a way uh, that was modern and accessible. So I actually started Village Auntie Institute during the pandemic. Oh, wow. <laughs> Which, you know, in hindsight was absolutely ridiculous, but... <laughs> 2020, you never know. Right. 
everyone was at home and everyone was on a computer or a phone or around like a, a screen of some sort. And I realized this was my opportunity to really have the global reach that I wanted to have. I didn't start out expecting it to be a movement. I started out, um, a very, very good friend of mine said, you, I, I presented at an academic institution about uh, Muslim women and sexual health and really sexual pleasure. Came back from the conference and she said, you need to get on Twitter. I've been on Twitter before, but Twitter, sometimes it's like a cesspool and I'm like, I can't it's do Twitter. It's a black hole. It's really intense. It, it's so much. And she's like, no, just go on there. And the same information that you were giving to people in the workshop, just chop it up into tidbits. And so I started doing that and the, the, the community started growing. So then I started an Instagram page. And I think it was one of my students that actually started calling it a movement first because she really felt like, where have you been my whole life? Like, what? How come I never learned this? And it was interesting because when I first started this work, I thought that it was only going to be focused on women like me, women of African descent, African-American, Afro-Caribbean, Afro-Arab, like women on the African continent. I was like focused on black women, but I noticed that there were so many other women from all different walks of life, from all different religions or no religion at all. Mm. Um, Lots of people of varying identities who were just gravitating towards it. And so we kind of went with it and said, you know, this is a movement. And now I can see it as a movement because of the way that it's grown and scaled in the last two years. But it really it really just started as a way for me to take all of the information that I had gleaned from my life and put it into an organization so that I could help other women to avoid some of the things that I experienced in my life. Oh my God. Wow. Yeah. Um, all that is incredible. You are in, like incredibly, uh, like fun and easy to like watch and listen to. So I just want to call that out right away. <laughs> and it's not only live, right? Like I've seen some of your videos where you're talking about pleasure and you're talking about it in a way that like I, as a sex educator, have heard these sentiments, but the way that you present it is very unique and is very calming and like empowering. So I just want to call that out right away. Um, so very <laughs> cool that your student called it a movement and wild that you started your platforms within the past two years because they have exploded, if I, if I may. Um, and I'd love to transition a little bit because specifically when I found you and when I found your work, I did see the presentation in the workshop that you did for the Muslim Institute. Um, or what was the name of that uh Foundation. Muslim Wellness Foundation. And for me and my co-producer in thinking about like the kinds of folks and the kinds of topics that we want to cover this season, we really wanted to get a perspective um, about Muslim sex education because I am Jewish. My co-producer is Jewish. We definitely have had on people of various identities and experiences and cultures, but we have not had like a Muslim sex ed episode quite yet. And so, um, you know, knowing that Muslim people and the Muslim religion and faith and, uh, you know, is not a monolith, understanding that and really wanting to name that and not saying like, oh, this one perspective is for all Muslim people, right? Like really recognizing that is is critical. But that uh, being said, I would love for you to talk to me about in your experience, um, in your vast experience in this field, 
what does comprehensive sexual health education look like or what can it look like for various Muslim populations? That is an excellent question. <laughs> it's actually a question that I spent um, two years. So I want to I want to go back just a little bit. Um, sure. I, platforms that, that I started on social media, we started them in 2018, but I've been working doing village auntie work since 2003. So it's been a long time doing it offline. And I really started, so this is like a content warning, like a trigger warning for sexual assault. So I was sexually assaulted. I converted to Islam. I was not born and raised Muslim. I was born and raised in a very religious Christian household. And I converted to Islam at the age of 23 after studying for four years. And two weeks after I took my Shahada to, you know, the declaration to become a Muslim, literally two weeks, almost to the day after that, I was sexually assaulted. I was raped. And instead of it pulling me away from my faith, I leaned into my faith because during the four years between the ages of 19 and 23 that I was studying Islam, I learned that Islam is a very sex positive religion. I learned about rights of women when it came to sexual pleasure, when it came to bodily autonomy. And that act, although it was tragic, it was something that really pushed me into the work that I'm doing now because when I would talk to people about sex. And it took, it took 20 years for me to even talk to people about, you know, being sexually assaulted. But when I, when I started talking to people about it, um, the statements that they would make just showed me that they really didn't know anything about faith. So I think comprehensive sex education for me first looks like establishing what is the body? Um, what rights does the body have over us? And what rights do we have to protect our body? I start sexual health education with my own children. I have four children. Uh, as soon as they recognize that their bodies look different from other people. And it really comes with that. I, I think protection is most important. And it's probably because of my experience. Uh, I spent two years uh, at the University of Chicago uh, through a program through the University of Chicago School of Medicine, Institute on Islam and Medicine, actually working on developing a comprehensive sex ed curriculum for Muslims. In order to do that, I really had to acknowledge that you're right. Muslims are not a monolith, but it, it's what does Islam say? Like, what does Islam say about the body? What does Islam say about sex? What is sex in Islam? Like, let's let's start there. What what constitutes sex in this in Islamic you know legal um, language? Uh, it can look like uh, for me, I think sex ed as a Muslim also has to look like what is the relationship in which sex is happening. Right. And, and is is your body just like a field for someone to, to do as they please or do you have rights? And, you know, how is sex best experienced from an Islamic perspective? So all of that goes into comprehensive sex ed. But then you also have to add a cultural lens when you're talking to a Pakistani Muslim versus an African-American Muslim versus a Belizean Muslim versus an Australian Muslim. You have to take in all of that culture when you talk about it. But the root from an Islamic perspective is the same. Let's talk about a lube I absolutely love, Uber Lube. 
UberLube makes sex better for everyone by reducing friction and increasing pleasure. Whether you're using it for solo sex time, sex with a partner, or both, UberLube has a long-lasting performance that lets skin feel skin. It has simple body and condom-friendly ingredients, is scent and color-free, dissipates when no longer needed so there's no sticky residue, and is recommended by leading doctors. Use code SEXEDWITHDB for 15% off at uberloop.com. Seven years ago, I was gifted my first ever vibrator. It was a rabbit vibe, and I was immediately in love with it and the pleasure it gave me. Having a bit of experience with rabbit vibes over the last seven years, I am absolutely stoked to tell you about an amazing one from Fun Factory. Miss Buy from Fun Factory is the dual vibrator you've been dreaming of, with a powerful German-engineered motor that gives you super strong vibrations. Follow Fun Factory on IG at FunFactoryUSA, and use code SEXED with DB for 15% off your new favorite German rabbit vibe. Yeah. And how did you, like, what, what teachings, I guess, or like what literature or mentors like were really impactful to you while you were creating that curriculum? So I, I looked, of course, at the Quran. (laughs) I looked, of course, at um, Hadith, um, you know, collections of Hadith, Sahih Muslim, Sahih Bukhari, I'm also trained in fiqh, which is Islamic jurisprudence. So fiqh from the Maliki perspective. And Maliki fiqh really looks at the people of Medina. So sort of the first community of Muslims that, you know, as Islam was codified as a religion. What did they do? Um, I also look to my community. I look to those community mothers, those Muslim women, the aunties, the grandmothers, you know, from different backgrounds. Like, what did you do? What did you learn? Uh, Also connecting with people like Habib Akande, who wrote a book, A Taste of Honey, uh, Islamic Erotology and Sexuality, which is sort of like a manual on, um, he's compiled lots of different Islamic laws and, and, and sayings and hadiths and stories about sexuality. So really putting all of that together and, and saying, okay, how can I put this together and then break it down so that it's easily digestible to people? I needed to infuse a bit of humor because you have to have some levity because people get like really freaked out when you tell a woman, like, you can ask for as many orgasms as you want. Like, it's totally your right. You get to come first. You can't, like, hit people over the head with that if they're, like, afraid to look at their vagina in the mirror. Right. So I figure out, like, okay. and But I also had to know that whatever I'm teaching people, I have to be able to back it up. So while I'm, you know, there's some humor, right? There's some lightness there. If people challenge me, I can immediately hit them with an ayah. I can hit them with a hadith. I can hit them with, well, this is what the religion actually says. And just because you don't like it doesn't make it bad. And just because you like it doesn't make it true. Yeah. Yeah. We completely agree that humor is like a big way into people's hearts and like a way to just like let them take a deep breath. And I often say like in my sex ed classes, like sex is funny. Like sex is weird. Sex can be awkward. Like it's okay to like laugh and think it's weird. Like it's it's strange and silly and beautiful and pleasurable. There are like all these feelings that come with it. And I think especially when you're working with young people, allowing them that space to laugh and like process that is incredibly important. Um I'm curious, like, what are some key themes that have come up for your students and folks who are Muslim who come to you for advice and help? Like, are there are there common commonalities that they have um, when it comes to specifically like 
their religion, their culture, their experience with sexual health? Sure. Uh, I think one of the big things that comes up for women, I, you know, I have people of, of all genders who, who reach out, you know, to ask for advice. I'm, I'm selective about who I, you know, who I talk to. But for a lot of the women who come to me, um, there are two big concerns. One is I like sex too much. And because I like sex so much, does that make me a bad person? Does that make me a bad Muslim? And then on the other end is I don't like sex at all because I don't feel like I'm really a participant. I feel like I am a receptacle. Uh, so those two things come up quite a bit. Those two things come up quite a bit. Um, from a lot of the men that I talk to, it is performance concerns. Like, I don't, I can't have sex like they have in porn. And I'm like, yeah, well, 99% of us don't, right? <laughs> because it's, you know, it's, 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 it's made to, to, to make you feel that way. So those are things that come up, but it, there's lots of guilt and lots of shame that comes up. Um, shame uh, that I had a woman that I was working with and she said, of course, that I could share, well, share any identifying details. Uh, she had been married for 15 years. She had never had an orgasm. I did an Instagram live. I don't even remember what it was I was talking about, but we got to a point where we talked about like, you can have sex for pleasure. Like it doesn't, just have to be to like fulfill your husband's need or to have a baby. Like you can have sex just because you want to have sex and it's totally fine. And I, I didn't talk to her directly. I don't even know her, uh, but she sent me a DM the next day. And she said, there was something that you said that just clicked for me. She said, and for the first time ever, I had an orgasm with my husband. Ah, the best DM ever. Right. And I was like, cause usually I don't answer DMs. And I was like, girl, like, you know, I was so like, I'm so proud of you, right? But she, I, it felt like she needed someone to give her permission. And I think that that's a thing that comes up a lot. I need someone to give me permission to feel the way that I feel or who can help me to assuage my self-doubt around my sexuality, whether it's liking it a lot or not liking it enough. Vaginismus is something that comes up a lot. Women, you know, who are not able to be penetrated. Those are kinds of the, the kinds of things that I, I see repeatedly, just they, they happen in cycles. And it's with, it's with people of all ages, all backgrounds, these same things come up. Yeah. Yeah. Totally hear you and agree that when we get DMs, it's very much like, I feel guilty that I like to masturbate too much. And, you know, same kind of messaging of like, is it overtaking your like daily responsibilities? Is it like painful or harming yourself or someone else? If the answer is no to all those, then go to town is like really <laughs> how we put it of like, we have to start unlearning like these harmful messages that like you're not in one way or another. It's like, you feel like you're not deserving of pleasure. Right. Um, and I wonder if we can go, uh, if we can talk about Roe v. Wade a little bit, because I'm really curious to hear in your experience and in the Muslim religion and faith, um, like what what's going on in your community right now, like after Friday, after the Supreme Court ruling? Uh, it's, um, it's very disheartening, the conversations that people are having. Um, from an Islamic perspective, and I'm not a religious scholar, so like I can't give a ruling, um, there are varying um, interpretations of the ruling, but one is, and one very common one is, you know, prior to 120 days before a soul is breathed into um, the fetus, then abortion is allowable 
you know, under certain conditions. Um, there's also beliefs in various schools of jurisprudence that if a woman's life, a mother's life is in danger, then abortion is possible. Uh, but I think I'm less interested about the direct abortion conversation. Uh, and I'm more astounded, um, enraged, and disappointed by the reactions to reproductive health choices in general for women. Mm. From some facets of the factions of the Muslim community, there are some people who are just like, no, the, the, the fetus takes precedence over the, the life of the mother at all times. Women should not have control of their bodies. Allah is the one who has control over all things. I'm like, yes, Allah is the one who has control over all things. Um, but as someone who has had to have a surgical abortion because of miscarriage, I can tell you it's not as black and white as you think. Roe v. Wade covered so much more than this absolute conversation that you're having that's, that's saying that women just want to have this, uh, you know, abortions because they want to, you know, party and, and go get advanced degrees. Like this is literally what people have reduced the conversation to in spaces like Twitter. And I'm like, it's so much more nuanced than that. It's so much more important than that. And a lot of that conversation, unfortunately, is coming from a lot of Muslim men who, you know, some of them, not all of them, but some of them, if I were to hold up my mother's biology textbook from when I was eight years old and I would ask them to label it, they might not even be able to label it. Mm -hmm. You know, people who don't understand what a menstrual cycle is. So why are you making comments about women asking for this comprehensive reproductive health care? On the flip side, you have so many women who are saying, you're not listening to us. You're not hearing us. Uh, Muslim women who are doctors, who are in medical school, who've had to have, you know, different types of procedures done. And this is women who are extremely like ultra conservative, all the way to women who are, you know, very ultra, you know, ultra liberal. Of course, you have some of the women who are on the side saying that, you know, Roe v. Wade, you know, should have been overturned. But one, none of these people are lawyers. Um, none of these people really have, that I've seen, you know, there could be people out there who are lawyers who are having these conversations. Um, most of them are not attorneys. Most of them are not religious scholars. And the type of vitriol that is being spewed towards women, it is really showing um, the internalized misogyny that exists, um, that is deeply rooted in religious communities. And it all cycles back to that guilt and that shame it all, it's also a form of like spiritual trauma. I, I've been laying low uh, on the internet because I see so many threads. Roe v. Wade is not, it's not happening in a vacuum. There's so much more to it than abortion. They want you to argue about abortion, but it's, it's bodily autonomy. It's privacy. It's so many more things. And especially as a black woman, um, our bodies were used for the production of a worker class in this country. We've never truly had full rights over our bodies. This is not about like, oh, you just want to kill your baby. No, that's, no, that's not, no, that's not what this is at all. Like I have four children. I'm not trying to, that's not what this is about. This is about so much more than that, but it's hard to, it's hard to weed through it. And I think um, the, the, the part that concerns me so much is when, you have some facets of the Muslim community that pick up this evangelical fundamentalist 
right-wing, ultra-right-wing Christian narrative. And I'm like, but they don't like you either. <laughs> like, you're Muslim. Like, they don't. They also don't like you. Like, they might be happy, like, if you would abort your child because they don't want you. Um, but it's hard to, to cut through the layers. So it's 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 very it's very complicated. Um, it's very complex, um, and it, it makes me angry that we're still having some of these conversations. Yes, <laughs> just like nine million times. Yes. Um, yeah. I. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I, I'm kind of speechless, honestly. It's exactly, yeah, enraging, disheartening, angering, um, tragic, upsetting. And uh, there are scholars in our space and researchers who have been talking about the overturning of Roe v. Wade for years. And we've known that this is on its way. And I think that, to your point about, like, it's not just about that, right? Like, there are so many other implications around the right to, um, you know, same-sex marriage and the right to contraceptives. And there are a lot, there's a lot at stake here. And so I think a lot of people, rightly so, are scared and nervous. And uh, I, it just cements our, us being in this work that much more. Anyway, that was a long rant. Obviously, there are a lot of problems uh, with this Roe v. Wade decision over being overturned, and there were a lot of problems before that. So I just want to make it clear that uh, this, these issues, uh, this misogyny, racism, et cetera, sexism is not going anywhere, and we actively need to fight as we are and as many people in our community have always been fighting um, for rights, access, um, pleasure, bodily autonomy, um, everything. And so thank you so much for, yeah, for sharing all of that. And moving on from my rant a little bit, um, I came across a past workshop of yours, um, that looked super interesting to me and it was called Cunyaza 101. Can you tell the listeners and me about this workshop? and what you were able to cover in it with your participants. Sure. <clears throat> so Kunyaza is probably my most requested workshop. I do not teach it online. I only teach it in person because it is very hands-on and interactive. Kunyaza is an ancient Rwandan technique that is used to elicit female ejaculation. So it's what you know folks would call squirting, basically. Uh, it is... It is um, very, very African, very, very black, uh, and very, very effective. And it is centered on um, the the vulva, basically. <laughs> like it is not, uh, it is non-penetrative, so it does not require penetration. And in the cultures where it is practiced, it's called, I believe, Kachabali in Uganda, uh, Rwanda. It's called Kunyaza. It's the same technique. Uh, if a a man or a person with a penis is unable to elicit these sacred waters, is what what they call it, um, they are considered to be less than. So it is really like sort of like a rite of passage, a rite of sexual passage and pleasure to be able to um, do this technique effectively. It's it's actually very simple. I teach a simple method. I teach a, a complex method, uh, and I have found it to be one of the most um, hilarious <laughs> and engaging workshops um, because you really have to get to the root of that guilt and that shame because kunyaza doesn't work when you are 
um, spiritually or emotionally um, compacted, like impacted, like when you, when you are not able to relax. So I take women through, it's a four hour course, um, just to be able to do kunyaza. Uh, soon I'm going to be offering kunyaza certification. So teaching other women how to teach women um, how to do kunyaza. And a woman, you know, she was very sort of judgmental. And she said, well, what's the purpose of kunyaza? I said, pleasure. She said, okay, but what else? I said, that's it. It does. Period. It's fun. Period. End of sentence. It's just for pleasure. Uh, it's something fun. It's something engaging. And because it's focused on um, parts of the vulva that don't often get a lot of attention. Hello, clitoris. Hello, you know. Wait, hello. Uh, labia, right? Uh, and because it does not require penetration, especially for Muslim women and some Orthodox Jewish women that I know also, um, they like that penetration is not required because there are some there are some times when you know you don't or can't be penetrated. It's great for women um, who are postpartum. Um, it's just a great technique, and it doesn't it doesn't require body parts of a certain size. <laughs> it doesn't require anything other than um, desire and will to practice the technique. So that that's it's it's very popular. I'm going to be teaching one here in Phoenix very soon. <laughs> I've gotten requests to teach it online, but it's a little tricky for me because people screenshot things and they screen record things. And when I teach the technique, I have to teach from the insertive partner and the receptive partner's perspective. And so to do that, sometimes I will wear an apparatus where I have to strap things onto my body. Sure. And um, yeah, and so some people I don't want to have images of me on the internet. Makes sense. Privacy yeah. is important, right. and you it also like you know I'm sure there's an energy that adds to it in person that feels really important for everyone to actually be present physically. So totally understand. There are many reasons to keep it as an in person workshop. Yes, and we we in the workshop we cover. We cover body type. We cover um, body neutrality. So I'm trying to move away from body positivity and to go towards body neutrality. Like we all have a body because I have women of different sizes who say, well, I'm too big or I'm too small or I'm too this or, you know, things have shifted. And so we, we cover that. We talk about lubricant. Uh, we talk about sex across the lifespan. We talk about when you can use it, who can use it, how to use it. Uh, so it, it, it's so much more than just kunyaza. It really is grounding women and getting more comfortable with their bodies um, and being able to be in control of the act as well, because this really is sort of a woman-directed pleasure practice. Incredible. Um, this has been very illuminating and a really, <laughs> really wonderful conversation. So Thank you so much, Angelica, for being here today. And I would love for you to share where people can follow your work. Sure. Uh, people can follow me on Instagram or Twitter at Village Auntie. That's Auntie with I-E at the end. Uh, you can also follow me on Facebook at Village Auntie. And my website uh, should be up, hopefully by the time uh, this uh, podcast goes live. And that's VillageAuntie.com. Wonderful. Um, I guess if you could leave our listeners with one thing to really ponder on, um, to really pontificate on, if you will, um, about 
anything that we talked about today or about your, your practices or about your teachings, what would that be? I would want it to be, um, don't just take people at face value. Don't look at people and assume things about their lives, especially women, uh, people of faith, uh, people of different backgrounds. We like sex. We like pleasure just as much as the next person. And some of us are so good at it that we can teach others to do the same. <laughs> I love it. Yes. Um, again, thank you so, so much for being on. This has been wonderful. Thank you for having me. Let's talk about lube and condoms. Something important to know is that oil-based lube is not to be used with condoms because the oil can cause the condom to break or tear, which would defeat the purpose of using it. Thank goodness for Uber Lube. Uber Lube is latex compatible, so it's safe and effective to use with condoms. But wait, there's more. Dispensing two drops of Uber Lube inside a condom and a measured pump outside will increase pleasure. What are you waiting for? Use code SEXEDWITHDB for 15% off at uberlube.com. In a world that constantly encourages you to change, it's bold to just be yourself. Sexual expression and satisfaction are different for everybody, so rather than conforming to others, focus on falling in love with who you are. Lion's Den sources the very best products to help you find what you like and help you feel confident expressing your sexual desires. You can get 15% off in-store and online using code SEXEDWITHDB to begin exploring everything about yourself. Follow Lion's Den on social, at Lion's Den Adult on Instagram and TikTok. Do you ever look at yourself in the mirror and think, damn, my part is fine art? Well, Clona Willie definitely thinks so. Made in Portland, Oregon, Clona Willie makes for the most personalized sex toy on the planet, and Clona Pussy makes for the most unique memento. Their mission is to create unique, affordable, and high-quality products that will not only last over the years, but provide their customers with a fun and memorable experience. Use promo code SEXEDWITHDB20 for 20% off at clonawilly.com. Our creator, host, EP, and sound engineer is me, Danielle Bezalel, aka DB. Our co-producer and communications lead is Katherine Cohen. Our music theme is by Hook Sounds, and our ad music is by my stepdad, Bill Gant. Thank you so much to our featured guests, partners, and our listeners. Want to advertise with us? Email us at sexedwithdb at gmail.com. For more sex ed content, follow us on IG at sexedwithdbpodcast and on TikTok at sexedwithdb. See you next time.